like you to open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11. I'm, I'm going to get there in, in a moment. This is now my, my seventh year teaching at Maranatha. And one of the joys that I've kind of come to experience in working here is the joy of seeing graduates as they head out into life and serve the Lord. And, and just to, to ponder that I've been able to be a part of that, to support and encourage them and, and equip them. And it's, it might sound a little bit like a cliche, but you feel a little bit like, like a dad, you know, with, with, with kids that are out there. And it's like, that is, it's a blessing. And don't, I don't say that to, to be in any way condescending. It is, it is a treasure you guys are a treasure, and I love my interaction with you. Sometimes I feel like in the, in the four years of, of our time together, it's like there's so much work to be done. We don't get to stop and enjoy what actually God is doing here. And So I love meeting and talking to graduates afterwards and people that I've had a chance to influence. Not too long ago, I was, um, was away from campus, and and somebody comes up to me, and they're like, Dr. Brock? And I said, yeah. And I turned around, and I recognized him immediately. It was a student that I've had. And uh, he recognized me, and we just, we just started chatting. We probably talked for over an hour. And during the conversation, he shared with me that he was no longer a Christian. And... Now, I was happy that he opened up. I was happy that we had a conversation. I was happy that, that, that we could continue a conversation that he knew that I was not opposed to him, that I, that I love him, that I want to see God bring him to truth and, and make things clear for him. And I was pondering about this a little bit. A little over 20 years ago, I sat where you are sitting. And my friends... Uh, many of whom are walking with the Lord, but some of them have walked away from the faith. They've walked away from Christ. And every generation, and every professor that is here, every staff member that is here probably have individuals that come to mind that have walked away from the Lord. And I mean, students that have been sitting right where you are sitting in the time that I've been here as a teacher who, are, who no, no longer believe, quote, all this stuff about God. And we know that this is a real possibility in any community of faith of any size. So, what about you? Like, where is your faith? Where are you in the journey? Is it possible that there's somebody sitting out here right now who, who will be walking away from Maranatha and at some point walking away from the Lord? You may be listening today, and perhaps you know that you don't believe. You might be listening today with serious doubt or, or the nagging thought, what if we're wrong? You could be listening today with total confidence, but as soon as you step out there, all you really have is, well, this is what I've always been told, and it is not a firm enough foundation to stand in the storm or you may never walk away from the church. After all, this is, this is what you know. But like the Pharisee or the Catholic churchgoer, your 
Christianity is more tribal and cultural based than faith based and transformative. And so please understand, I don't say any of this to be critical at all. Everyone, I believe, wants to know the truth. Everyone wants certainty. They want their life to be grounded in something genuine and real. This former student who I was talking to told me this. He says, I tried to pray, but it just didn't feel like anyone was there. And I could hear the sincerity in his voice as he shared with me how his faith slipped away. You know, the easy theological answer is that true believers can't fall away. If you know Christ, then, then there's really nothing to worry about. But, but there's a whole book of the Bible, the book of Hebrews, written to Christians. And the author of Hebrews says several times, I'm assured of better things of you. Your brothers, I, I believe your brothers. And yet, throughout the book, he's speaking, as it were, to believers whose faith is in the balance. Some of them may not have been genuine believers, and it's full of reminders about Christ's superiority, warnings to take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, admonitions about moving on to maturity in their faith, and true definitions of key Christian realities like faith. And and that's what I want to talk about this morning. Like the most fundamental aspect of Christianity is faith. In fact, it's so common that it kind of becomes cliche. And as it becomes cliche, it seems to be not serious. And and that very reality can undermine our thinking. And so is faith just believing stuff we've been told? Does everyone else, does everyone else in the world have certainty, except for us poor dupes who have this kind of mystical faith that's not really real. I'm going to give you some quotations today. These are not going to be strong men. These are going to be atheists who are articulate, who are convincing, who, as, 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 as people hear them, it's, it, it chips away at what we think we know or what we think we believe. And, and I'm doing that to illustrate some important things. There's an atheist by the name of Matt Dillahunty. He used to be an evangelical preacher, and now he's turned atheist and evangelist for atheism. He said this. He said, there's, there's nothing well-grounded about faith. It's indistinguishable from gullibility. Is that true? Another famous atheist, Sam Harris, says this. He says, Tell a devout Christian that frozen yogurt can make a man invisible, and he is likely to require as much evidence as anyone else, and to be persuaded only to the extent that you give it. Tell him that the book he keeps by his bed was written by an invisible deity who will punish him with fire for eternity if he fails to accept its every incredible claim about the universe and he seems to require no evidence whatsoever. Ouch. I'm not going to pick apart that definition. I want to ask the question, here's atheists defining faith as they perceive it. It is ridiculous 
It is vacuous. It is shallow. And they have good reason to ridicule what they are ridiculing. But what does the Bible say? What does God say about faith? I've had you open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11. And I want to read just the first seven verses. And I, I, as I read, I want you to think about faith. Faith is going to be mentioned several times in this text. And I want you to think about what is revealed in this text about this reality that we're called to. Hebrews 11 verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. For by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made out of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. There is an absolute contrast between what the world ridicules, between what what people who are confused about the concepts say, and between what the Word of God gives us. But we've read this passage before. The words that I just read, in fact, I'm going to guarantee that some of you tuned it out, not because you're not interested, but because you've heard that text so many times. Maybe you even have it memorized And you're like, I know what this is about. I know where this is going. But here's the reality. We know that passage. We've read that passage. And many of us still have a very fuzzy idea of what faith actually is. And so this morning, I want to take this text and clarify the biblical concept of faith and show you that it is not only essential, but beautiful and attainable. The title of the message, the theme of the message is faith, a leap into the light. And that tells you where I'm going with this. And so I would encourage you today, if you're like I'm a person where my faith is rock solid and I believe in Christ and I've turned from my sin and I've been transformed by the grace of God, then then you need to listen and be assured of what it is that is undergirding the reality of your salvation. And if you're in here today and you've got questions and you've got concerns and, and maybe you're kind of pushing them off and like, ah, it's not a big deal and I'm, I'm sure I'm going to be fine and nobody else has any more than me even though you're struggling, I would encourage you to just dial in your attention to God's word and see the truth that is here. We see, first of all, that we need to be aware of and beware of the definition ditches of faith. So, 
the first problem that we have with our faith sometimes is that we just have a wrong perspective. And we've believed in a definition that's just not a biblical definition. So on one ditch, we have the fact that faith is a blind leap. It's just, you know, you just can't know. You just got to kind of go with it. And maybe it's true and maybe it's not true, but everyone's got to land somewhere, right? Well, that, that view was espoused by existentialist Christian philosopher Soren Kierkegaard. And this is his, his words. He describes a believer as a person who, quote, is also aware of the tremendous risk involved in faith. When he nevertheless makes the leap of faith, this is subjectivity at its height. Kierkegaard, who himself was a believer, defined his faith as subjectivity. Richard Dawkins, famous atheist, he says, faith is belief in spite of, or even perhaps because of, the lack of evidence. Faith is not allowed to justify itself by argument, he says. And so on one hand, you've got faith being a blind leap. And on the other ditch, you've got the fact that people will say faith is based upon evidence. Like, oh, that sounds a lot better than the other ditch. Well, okay, so Christian apologist and physicist John Lennox, and I appreciate a lot of this guy and his writings. He's encouraged my faith in a number of ways. But, but he takes that view. He says, faith is not a leap in the dark. It's the exact opposite. It is a commitment based on evidence. And so here's where I would differ with that. It would be okay to say that, that faith is consistent with the evidence or supported by the evidence. But to say that faith is based upon or grounded on the evidence is in essence to say we walk by sight and not by faith. And so we are not walking by sight. We are, we are not given empirical certainty. And, and therefore, on the basis of empirical certainty, now we believe. That's what happened, by the way, with Thomas. He saw and he believed. And Jesus says, Thomas, you believe because you see. But blessed are those who've never seen and yet believe. And that's where we live today. That is the faith that is in front of us. And so with that being said, you're like, okay, what is left? It's not a blind leap. And it's also not just, you know, based upon what we can see. This is the beauty of biblical faith. We, we, we have a definition in Hebrews 11, verse 1. And I want to unfold this. Hebrews 11, 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If I could just turn that into kind of a, a unified definition, here's what it would sound like. According to this verse, faith is trust in a truth claim unknowable through natural means. Trust in a truth claim unknowable through natural means. So, so where do I get that from? Well, first of all, faith is trust. We have two words in this verse. One of the words is substance, and the other word is evidence. Substance means assurance of reality, and evidence means certainty of proof. And so this is not, this is not an intellectual assent. Oh, yeah, I, I believe that that is true. It is an assurance in something that's real. It is a certainty 
in that which has been presented with certainty. So faith is trust, but why do I say it's trust in a truth claim? The verse doesn't seem to say anything about a truth claim, and and the reason I use the word truth claim is that faith must have content. Let's say I'm walking in the hallway, and you stop and you say, hey, Dr. Brock, how's it going? And I look back at you with, with meaning and significance, and I say, mm, I believe, and I stop. You would want to know something, right? You would want to know, like, what do you mean? What do you believe? And, and if I said, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I believe that my wife loves me. You would say, you are a man of great faith, Dr. Brock. <laughs> if you ask me, how, well, how do you know that your wife loves you? I mean, love is kind of, it's kind of a fuzzy concept. It seems a little bit subjective. How do you know that your wife loves you? I, I'd say it's because she told me. In fact, she tells me a lot. Do you know that Christianity is a truth claim made through divine revelation? In fact, the entire book of Hebrews begins, literally begins with the very first words. Hebrews 1.1. It says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. Literally, the book of Hebrews begins by telling us that Scripture is the inspired account of God's self-disclosure. He has made himself known throughout the span of human history. God has made himself known. So it's a truth claim made through divine revelation. It's also supported by divine relationship. If you weren't convinced that my wife loved me just because she's told me that, because a lot of people can say they love you without actually meaning it, and you ask me, well, well how can I trust the fact that my wife actually does love me, I tell you that I know she loves me because I have a personal relationship with her. And she's shown me in a thousand ways through selfless acts, devotion, sacrifice, forgiveness, you name it. I've seen her love me. I know she loves me. I'm in relationship with her and there's no doubt in my mind. And you, you might be thinking to yourself, well, wait a second. That's easy for you to say because you're married to her, but what about me? I'm on the outside looking into your relationship. How do I know that she loves you? Well, it's a little bit more difficult because you're not in a relationship. You have to hear my testimony. You have to hear what I say are the demonstrations of that. But, but in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, after we have this divine revelation, it tells us that God has in these last days spoken to us by his son. God sent his son into this world so that you can know him through relationship. So that you could so that you could behold him. So that so that you could know the love of God in the person of Jesus Christ. 
He's spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. And so, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6 tells us that God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you are standing outside of Christianity saying, I need certainty. Well, the kind of certainty you're looking for doesn't happen outside of Christianity. It comes through the revelation that God has given. It comes through the Spirit of God working in your heart to convince you in a personal way that you are guilty of sin and that there is a standard of righteousness and that there is judgment to come. And he, and he begins to open your eyes to this truth and you see Jesus Christ and the beauty of the cross and the power of the resurrection and, and you know that that's my need. And in simple faith, childlike faith, you say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The lights have come on. And it is a miracle that is... That is, a, that is compared to the miracle of creation, the God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I do not doubt that I am seeing you present in this room. I do not doubt that I can go outside and see a tree and see the sunset Because I have eyes, God has given me sight and I can see these things. And the same thing is true about faith. As we believe in the gospel, there's a transformative eyesight that is given to us. But but we've said that faith is trust in a truth claim. Here's an important point. It's unknowable through natural means. Verse 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hoped for. The evidence things not seen. You see, there's two categories that are unknowable through natural means. Those categories are things hoped for. These are are things of ultimate meaning, like purpose. Like, why am I here? I want my life to matter. I want my life to have significance. It's something I hope for Morality is another thing. How should I live? Or, or even how should I live and, and related to that because I know that I have failed, that I'm broken. How can I be washed clean? How can I be made whole? And even questions of destiny. Is, is this life all that there is or is there, is there more? Is there something else? Is there something better? Those are things hoped for and things not seen. That's the category of transcendent truth. Beyond empirical experience, the creation of the universe. It happened, but but we weren't there. It's not seen. The existence of the human soul can't be measured. The reality of heaven haven't been there. Did you know that neither of these categories, neither of them, things hoped for or things not seen, neither of them are knowable through natural means. 
physicists, scientists, biologists, philosophers. No human can discover these by any empirical test. There's not that kind of truth that is at play here. And so, and so this is important, that the faith is trust in a truth claim unknowable through natural means. And I want you to acknowledge as, as we conclude that everyone exercises faith. This is something that the atheists are like, no, 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 no. You Christians exercise faith. We live in the realm of certainty. Really? In, in the area of things hoped for, you live in the realm of certainty? In the realm of things not seen, what is your certainty about the human soul? What is your certainty about what happens after death? Well, we know the heartbeat stops and the brain stops functioning. So, so what is your certainty that that's all that we are? Did you know that Leonardo... <laughs> I almost said Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, <laughs> Leonardo da Vinci, the more important Leonardo in history. <laughs> Did you know that he invented the parachute? He invented the parachute in 1483. At least he invented it on paper. He never tried it. For 300 years, nobody ever tried his invention out. But in 1797, along came a Frenchman by the name of André-Jacques Garnerin. He took the design of Leonardo da Vinci and he perfected it. At least he thought he perfected it. <laughs> and on October 22nd, 1797, Garnerin attached his parachute prototype to a hydrogen balloon connected by a rope. And he ascended to 3,200 feet in the air. He's like, I'm going to give this a try. <laughs> and he cut the rope. He thought of everything, except he did not cut a hole in the top of the parachute to vent the air through, and because of that, the parachute rotated wildly, but he landed unharmed. Did you know that unbelief is just misplaced faith at the point of life's most important questions? At the point of human destiny, the Christian has an answer given by God. John 3.36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abide on him, bideth on him. John 11.25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. But what about the unbeliever at the point of human destiny? Christians have the promise that Christ is the resurrection and the life. And if we believe in him, though we die, yet we will live. And he proved it by rising from the dead himself. What about unbelievers at that point? The atheist believes that death is the end, but how do they know that? The balloon is rising and at some point the cord will be cut and then what? They say they don't have faith in their atheism, but they do because we will all meet the point where life's most important questions become present reality. These are unavoidable. These are unavoidable. And the question is, what is their faith based on? Is skepticism a good foundation or bravado? 
Biblical faith is trust in God at the point of life's most important questions. Christians agree 100% with true science. Whatever is quantifiable, testable, verifiable, repeatable, that's all that science can tell us. That's it. That's all they have. But in life's most important questions, God alone has spoken because God alone knows because God is the creator and God is the sovereign and God loved each one of us so much that he sent his only son because we have a need that we could never meet in a million years and his love is unfathomable and we come to that by faith and 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 we understand as we understand faith that at these points God meets us there it's not a blind leap. It is, it is an illuminated step into the reality that God has given us. Does life have meaning? Verse 2 in our passage, it tells us, By it, by faith, the elders obtained a good report. So Old Testament men and women of faith were commended for their faith. Their life mattered. They had significance. Where did everything come from? Verse 3 gives us this answer, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made with things which do appear. This is the idea that the visible has its origins in the invisible. The visible, what we see, has its origins in the invisible, in the immaterial God. Same conversation I have with that student, he At one point, he was like, please don't tell me you actually believe that literal account of creation. And I said, well, what do you think happened? And I I, I said, "So, so the fact that there's an infinite creator, an immaterial, all-powerful, all-knowing creator who created everything out of nothing, you you can't, that's too much for you to consider. But the fact that the entire universe, all matter, all thought, all energy, the entire universe, billions of stars, galaxies without number, all of that came from a tiny speck the size of less than a single atom. I, I said... Okay, both of those completely demolish the laws of physics. One of them is based on just supposition. The other one has been revealed by God who is there. And I know it takes faith to believe that. But it's faith that has been revealed. Is there morality and how do we know it? Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. God testified of that. Is there a God and is he knowable? Enoch believed in God and he pursued him and, and he, was, he pleased God. And, and, and for us, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For, for he that cometh to God must believe and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He is knowable. He is knowable. You can't have a personal relationship with him. Is there ultimate accountability for how we live? Noah's the example of that. By faith, he believed God. Much of the world didn't until it was too late. Remember, biblical faith is trust in a truth claim of transcendent truth and ultimate meaning, unknowable through natural means. Everyone, everyone exercises faith. The question is, will you trust God 
He has spoken. And each of his pronouncements is a truth claim that we have. And, 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 if, you, and if you say, I still am not interested at some point, anyone who, who sees this contrast of certainty between what God has offered and the vacuous certainty of those without him, you have to consider perhaps there's something within me that does not want God. Those who reject the gospel are the ones making a leap into the dark on morality, on their eternal destiny. They know they're broken. They know they're sinful. They have no way of redemption beyond their own blind hope that God will not hold them accountable. But as believers, we also know that we're broken. We're not perfect people preaching to flawed people. We're broken people, forgiven people. We've fallen short of the glory of God. We've We've come to trust in the good news of Jesus, the substitutionary death and the infinitely powerful resurrection of Christ. And we have the words of Christ in John 8, verse 12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So do you trust him? Or perhaps, will you trust him? The invitation is out God is calling. Faith in Christ is truly a leap into the light. Lord, I don't know who needs to hear this truth. For believers, it is a tremendous encouragement because we buy in to the wrong definitions and then we feel insecure in it and Lord, will we just come back to the truth that you have revealed to us? May we understand that those ridiculing faith are not ridiculing biblical faith. They're they're ridiculing their, their faulty assumptions. And as we understand the certainty of faith, of trust in you and what you have revealed as the transcendent God and creator who has made himself near to us, In so many ways, and especially in the person of Jesus Christ, Lord, would we have certainty. And if, Lord, if there's anyone in here who's struggling, would you just use this to encourage them, to help them to be one of those individuals who seeks after you, and you will be found of them. And we commit this to you in Christ's precious name, for the glory of God alone. Amen.